this morning or you to think about, who are you? What is your identity? How do you identify yourself? If you come into a church such as this, someone will grab hold of you and say, who are you? When they do that, what do you say? How, how do you describe yourself? You, you presumably you will mention your name. I mean, it's that way you, you, you describe who you are by name. So those of you who are in a work environment, you very often you have to go in little groups and small groups. And in those small groups, you say to one another, you have to introduce yourself. Who do you say you are when you, when you introduce yourself? How do you, how do you describe yourself? Audrey, when you do that, how do you, how do you describe who you are? I just said my name. You just your name, okay. And what you do. And what you do, okay, yeah. John, when people come in and say, who are you, do you very often say, I'm Phil and Daphne's son? Is that something that you do? Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes, now, some of you in the cultures that you come from will describe yourself by what you do, by your work. Um, but in some cultures, they, you, you, they describe themselves as what family they belong to. Is, I mean, the, I, the, I think the West Indians sometimes do this. Describe that they are so-and-so's father, so-and-so is their father or the son. Do you do that in, in Kenya at all? Yeah. The Asians, the Asians do this. It's very, is that right? You Asian people, do you describe, is the parents a description of who you are? In Wales, so you describe yourself in a very different way. We need to know who we are. And we sung about that this morning. Andrew, put that, that chorus up again. I was just amazed how God entwines things together. You're a good, good father. That's who you are. We need to know that God is a good, good father. But then it says, I am loved by you. That's who I am. Our identity, who we are, is important. It's an important foundation to knowing who we are and to knowing who we are and describing who we are. And so often in the Western culture of where we are, and John is right, we describe ourselves by what we do. Even in our names sometimes like that. We describe, our names describe who we are and what we do. It comes from that. You know, you're the butcher. Tom Butcher. Tom the Butcher. Bill Smith, the smithy. The baker. We describe ourselves by what we do. But what we do is not who we are. You remember a couple of weeks ago we had Sheridan and Meryl uh, Voise here. And they were sharing their story uh, and their journey that they've gone on. And I was partway through the book and came across uh, a quote by Sheridan in that respect, which I mentioned yesterday. But when I was introducing myself... So Meryl, I, I said to her, I said, I'm Ruth's husband. And she said to me, have you got another name? <laughs> so my identity in that respect was, was that I was 
Ruth's husband. And sometimes we, we do that, you know. John describing himself as the pastor's son or the leader's son. But very often it's, uh, it's, who, it's the work that we do that describes us. But in, uh, in Sheridan's book here, he mentions a particular a passage there that he puts in to recognising and realising who he was. And I'd, I'd read this, I was partway through the book before he came and spoke to us. But he's got a section there which says this, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, says St. John. And that is what we are. My sole position or status may change, but this identity will remain. I am a child of God. I am a child of God whether I succeed or fail. I'm a child of God whether applauded or forgiven. And some lessons, Lord, need to be relearned. I am significant to you. And that will never change. I may have been someone at work particularly. I might have had a title. I might have had a job description at work. But since I've retired, that job description is no, no longer there. When I meet with church leaders and they, you go around and they say, who are you? Then you very often you say, I'm a part of the leadership team at Hope Community Church. When I go to Uganda and I have to go and say greetings, I have to say who I am and where I'm coming from. And I usually say that I'm associated with a church and I'm part of the leadership of the church. They call me Pastor Dave or Bishop Dave. They love to give titles. They love to give you an identity. And I said to them last year when I was out there, not this year, but last year, I said, look, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a bishop. You keep calling me that. I understand you want to give me a title of respect. I said, I'm probably a teacher with a pastor's heart. But I'm not a pastor. So sometimes they say teacher. They, say, they call me teacher there. But you, you've got to be gracious to them and say, look, you know, you, you're giving me an identity. You're giving me a label. And I'm not necessarily something that is that. I, I'm not that person necessarily. But our identity is important. Our identity is key. Our identity is foundational. And everything about our identity is associated with our relationship with Christ. Essential to our security, essential to our enjoyment of our life in God is a knowledge of who we are in Christ. You will be very familiar with that passage right at the beginning of Genesis. Genesis 1 and verse 26 says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth, and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. That's who we are. God has made us. We are made in the image and the identity of God. Our identity is in his 
image and after his likeness. And it's our insecurities in that relationship with him that cause so many problems because we are not clear of our identity. And our identity is a major target for the enemy. Satan knows that if he can undermine our identity, then he has done a tremendous work in that respect. A major ploy of the enemy is to attack our identity and to try and undermine it, to undermine who we are. And one of the major problems that people have, one of the major difficulties that people have is to really trust God from within the depth of their being. You're a good, good God. That's who you are. You are a good, good God. Whether things go right or things go wrong, God is still good. God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. And so the devil and Satan would seek to attack that very foundation in our lives, that very trust that we have. It started with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden when Satan started to undermine their thinking. He said that if you take the apple, if you take the fruit from this tree, whatever fruit it was, you will be like God. God had already told them that they were made in his image, but now he's implying that you will be as good as God. You will be like God in everything, in every way. He's putting that seed of doubt into their mind as to who they were. They were moving on from what God had already promised them, that he'd been made in his likeness and in his image. He said, you will be the same as God. And many of us have a who am I moment. Moses was such a person as this. God called him from the midst of the fiery bush, the flaming bush, and gave him a job to do and gave him a responsibility to do. And Moses said, who am I? Who am I that I should do this? I am nobody. I can't do it. I am unable to do this task. God doesn't give us a task if we're not able to, to do it. But he started asking the question, who am I? And so many of us today are asking that same question. Who am I? It was interesting, those of you who were down here last night hearing the testimonies, which were just amazing, of people who've been transformed. But one of the things that came over to me from the people that were sharing, they said there was a time in their lives where they did not know who they were. They did not know who they were. And the same could apply to us in a measure. At least two of them said that they were non-practicing Catholics, whatever that was. That was their description, that was their identity. But they said, but I didn't know what it meant and I didn't know what it was, but I was a non-practicing Catholic, you know. Are we non-practicing Christians, whatever that might be, and we don't know what it is? We don't know who we are? What is our identity? 
Gideon was another one like this. The angel of the Lord or God said to him, mighty warrior, you are a mighty warrior. And he said, no, no, I'm, I'm the least of all of everything. I'm nothing. I'm nobody. When God had already promised him to be, he was told him he was a mighty warrior. And he said, I'm nothing. My family is the least in my clan, and my clan is the least in the tribe, and they're nothing. And God says to us, you're someone special. You're loved by me. You're precious. And we say, who am I? We have a who am I question as to our identity. In Luke 3, verse 22, God said, he cried out from heaven during the baptism of Jesus, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. Hear the voice of God from heaven confirms Jesus' identity and his mission. Jesus had not done anything at that point in time. And yet his identity was established, not because of what he'd done or what he'd not done, but who he was. And God says the same to us. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. And you give me much pleasure. You bring me much joy. With Jesus, there was the audible voice of God. We might not hear the audible voice of God expressing to us our identity, but we can still hear the voice of God expressing that identity to us in these days. Shortly after this happened, Jesus was taken into the wilderness. You remember the story? Satan came and tempted him. You just, just realise the words of Satan. He undermined Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and it worked. God, Satan uses a strategy. If it works, he continues to use it. He continues to do that sort of same thing today, and he did it with Jesus. He said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. You see, if the enemy could have undermined Jesus' identity, then he would have taken away his authority and the right to redeem the world. Do you see the subtleness of it? If you are the Son of God, and he keeps doing those sort of things, if you are a Christian, if you are part of the family of Christ, he says to us, how many of us so often get tempted like that? We hear those words in our mind. We hear the accuser. Doesn't say that we're not, but he puts that doubt into our minds. If you are the son of God, if you are a child of God. John the Baptist was there when the voice of God came out of heaven. He heard Jesus say those very words, this is my son, whom I love, and I'm well pleased with him. But later, when John the Baptist was in prison, he started to doubt that. 
remember the story? He sent some of his disciples to Jesus and he said, are you the one who is to come or should I expect someone else? He'd heard the, the sound of God's voice. He'd heard the cry from heaven, this is my beloved son and whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And yet there was this doubt in his mind. And those doubts come in. Satan puts those doubts. He puts the queries and the question marks into our lives. The enemy had so deceived John the Baptist that he'd lost faith in the very words that he'd heard beforehand. This undermining of our identity is a key target of the devil. And one of the things that he, he puts in our minds, the fundamental lie that Satan has, and he uses it today because it's so often, it works so well, but it's fundamentally a lie. And that again began with a temptation in the Garden of Eden. There's so many keys in those first three or four chapters of Genesis which unlock many things which we can apply elsewhere in Scripture. And this is one of them. It's the lie that Satan used. If you do, you will be. And we in this Western culture have grabbed hold of that lie and thinking that our identity is all tied up with what we do. Our identity is in our job. Our identity is in our work. Our identity is in our position. We believe that who we are is what we do. Or what we do is who we are. We're not created out of function. We're not created out of success, etc. It's not what we do or what we achieve that makes who we are. It's really who we are is who we are. Our true identity is established by God. Our true identity is established by God. Before you ever appeared, before you ever existed, before you were ever even thought of or conceived, God had knowledge of your exact proportions and he'd written them down in his book in eternity. That is amazing. That is amazing. One of the wonderful songs that uh, I use when I seek to be helping people that are struggling with this sort of concept is the Psalm 139. The whole psalm is wonderful. The whole psalm is really wonderful, talking to people and getting them to know how much they're loved and appreciated by God. But just a couple of verses just to prove that uh, what I've said is that our very being was written down before we even existed. God wrote them down in his book in eternity. Psalm 139 in verses 14 to 16 says this, I praise you 
because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days for me were written in your book before one of them came to being. God knew everything about us before we were even born. And to prove it, he wrote it in his book. God, the creator, has created us, each one of us, in his image. He's made us to be in his likeness. We are made to be like God. But each one of us is unique. Each one of us is a unique expression of God. None of us is the same. Every one of us is different, whether it's our voices, whether it's our eyes, whether it's our fingerprints as we go through customs, etc. Each one of us is different. Every snowflake is different from the other. But each one of us has been made in the likeness of God. But we are unique. You are very special people. God decided who we are. God decided who we're going to be. He, he decided that. Not what, it's not to do with what we do or what we achieve. And we need to accept the value that God placed on us. Mark mentioned as we were sharing communion, the value, the price that God has placed upon us. God couldn't have given anything more. He gave everything that he had. He gave himself in the form of Jesus. His, the value he places on us is unmeasurable. And the true basis of our identity lies in the truth that God designed us. Whoa! Not only designed us, but designed us for eternity. We're an everlasting identity. It's an eternal identity. And a clear comprehension and understanding of the value God places on every detail of our lives can lead to a very positive understanding of our designer's purpose. He made us and he knows everything about us. Sometimes we cannot accept ourselves and therefore if we don't accept ourselves we cannot accept the purposes that God has got in our lives for us. And so often you know what we do is that we do not accept Father God's purposes and value for us. We accept someone else's value, what they say, what they tell us that we are. We want to be like everybody else. We accept their values. They put us into pockets. They put us onto labels. They label us as to who we are. One of the most horrible identities you can give to someone like Stephanie is to label her as a disabled person or that person in a wheelchair. Amen. 
She is not. Her identity is not the fact that she's in a wheelchair and not disabled. She is a loving, precious child of God. And you don't label people by what they are. You don't label them by their nationality. You don't label them with the way that they dress. You don't label them by their nationality, the colour of their skin. That's not their identity at all. Their identity is, I am a child of God. I am a child of God. If we accept the values that other people place on us and they give us our identity, they direct us away from the purposes and plans and the goals that God has got for us and we're looking for the approval of people and we want to be approving. We want to look for the approval of God. I want to find out what God is doing. I want to be approved by God. I don't worry too much about other people and I've got to learn that. It's a lesson I've had in my life. I grew up most of my life seeking other people's approval. And I've got to say, I want to know what pleases God. That's what's important. That's what is important. I am a child of God and he loves me. No matter what other people say or whatever people do. It's not the approval of people that we're looking for. Because who we are is intrinsic. Intrinsic means you are who you are. Okay? You are who you are. The true identity, the true foundation of our identity is so important to us. In Matthew 16, Jesus asked the disciples, he said, who do people say that I am? Remember? Who do people say that I am? (laughs) This wasn't because he had an identity crisis. (laughs) He... He didn't have a crisis about who he was, but he asked the question so that we didn't have an identity crisis. See, God asks questions sometimes, not because he wants to know the answer, because he knows everything. He asked the question so that we might know the answer. So this was not to, this was not Jesus having an identity crisis to say, who do people say that I am? but it was because so that we didn't have an identity crisis. Peter replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others say Jeremiah the prophet or one of the other prophets. And then Jesus said to him this question, but who do you say that I am? We sang that song, God, you're a good, good father. We need to know who God is. And we need to declare that is. But Peter replied, the Messiah, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And it's upon this foundation, this is the foundation of the knowledge of who Jesus is, that the whole church is built. It's a foundational thing, the knowledge of who God is. Jesus is the son of the living God. And the only foundation that we can live, uh, we can lay in our lives, is the knowledge of who we are in Jesus Christ. The foundation is who we are in Christ Jesus. You see, at the fall, when sin came into the world, there was a separation from God. 
Adam and Eve were separated from God. And with that separation, there became a loss of some of their identity. Their identity is tied up with their relationship with God. When the relationship with God was broken, then their identity was also broken. We are only become alive. We are only who we are because of our relationship with our Creator. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 3. One Corinthians three and verses ten and eleven. This is all about foundational things. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any other any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's the foundation of our identity. It's only as we find our identity in him will we be restoring the model that we were created to enjoy. And that, you know, the whole of creation is waiting for the sons of God to be identified. The whole of creation is waiting for you to realise and to be able to express your real, true identity. For that identity to be revealed in you. And that will never be found in any other place outside of Christ. People who know who they are. And it will never be found outside of Christ. If we could put up Ephesians 1, Ephesians chapter 1 there. The whole of this chapter emphasises that very truth. If you look at it in your Bibles, if you look at it on your electronic devices, go home afterwards and have a look at it as well. How many times in that chapter, first chapter of Ephesians chapter 1, are phrases like, in him and in Christ? How often do they occur? This is emphasising where our true foundation lies. It's actually to be found in Christ, in him. That's the foundation. These verses in Ephesians 1 are all about our identity. And essentially what these verses are saying is that if you are in Christ, and that if that is true for you, or that is true for you, if you are in Christ, this is the truth of your identity. But if you are in Christ, how much of this are you experiencing? How much of this are you really enjoying? Is it just passages on a page in the Bible? Is it words on your iPhone or your iPad? Is it just words? We need to get these words to go from our minds into our hearts. We need to be experiencing the truth of some of these promises that are there. Your identity in Christ is not something that you have to obtain. It's all about what Christ has done for you. It's not in what you do or seek to do. It's what has already been done for you. 
And what you know in your minds needs to be revealed in your hearts. It's the word and the spirit coming together. You might have heard that phrase. The word and the spirit coming together. The reality of living these sort of things out in our day-to-day lives so that you actually enjoy the benefits of who you are. It's no good having something and not enjoying the benefits of it. Let's look at some of these. Verses 4 and 5. It's a chosen identity. And part of our identity is that it was chosen before the foundations of the world. God knew everything about us. But do we really like God, what, what, what God made us to be? Do we really like ourselves? You are no accident. It's possible that some of you thought you were an accident. It's possible that some of you might have been told by your mum and dad, we, we didn't really want you, but it, it was an accident. But we're no accident. We were made and designed by God. See, John 1.13 says this, We were children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. We were born of God. That's what the Bible says. It was not a decision that was made or not made by a mother and father. We were born of God. Do we believe what God is saying? We were predestined for adoption. <laughs> predestined for adoption. We were wanted. We were handpicked. That's what adoption means. We were no accident. We just didn't turn up one day and that was it. It was an accidental thing that happened between a husband and a wife. We were adopted. That's something in the expect. We were handpicked. We were chosen. There's something really special to, to really be able to grasp this whole cap whole concept of adoption that we were chosen an adopted person has almost got more blessings as it were than, than, than an ordinary member of the family because they were chosen by the parents handpicked the Bible uses two ways you see to describe how you and I came into a, re- a relationship with God The first is through new birth. The first is through new birth. That's the impartation of life. But this doesn't imply relationship. Just because we were born doesn't, and given life doesn't imply a relationship there. It's just that we've arrived. We've come into being. We've come into the world, as it were. We've arrived. But the other description is adoption which the bible uses here which is the conscious and deliberate decision to make a relationship with each one of us let that sink in god has adopted us he has handpicked us he has chosen us for the very purpose of having a relationship with us none of us are favorites Those of you who watch Strictly Come Dancing and remember Brucey there, I tried not to watch Strictly Come Dancing, 
But Brucey always says, you are my favourite. Remember? You are my favourite. Everybody was his favourite. God's like that with us. Every one of us, we are each one of us, his favourite. He doesn't love one more than the other. We are loved all the same. The relationship is based on God's initiative and not ours. Who we are, what parents we have, we're chosen by God. And the circumstances of our lives, whether we believe it or not, was God ordained. Secondly, we have a generic identity. Verse 5. You are a son and daughter of your parents because you were begotten of them, to use that old English word. You share their genes. You're generically linked to them. You may look very much like them. And it's the same way with God. In the same way as we have that generic link with our earthly parents, we have the same generic link with our spiritual father. You've been born again, and so you're generically linked in a spiritual sense to your heavenly father. You have a spirit that is alive to him and bears his image. My understanding of the early verses of Scripture would, would describe things like this in, in the Garden of Eden, that when the animals uh, were looking at Adam and Eve, who were, who were created in the image of God, their first impression was, oh, that's God. And they say, oh, no, it's just Adam and Eve. Because their first impression, there was something about Adam and Eve that looked like God because they were born in the image of God. And I can imagine, and this is my imagination now, that there was something about Adam and Eve, and when you looked at them, you thought, oh, that's God coming. And then you think, oh, no, no, it's only Adam and Eve. And you know, sometimes that happens with you, if you're, if, if you're very much like your parents. They say, you're the spitting image of your mum, or the spitting image of your dad. And when they look at you, they think that you're your mum or your dad sometimes. And so the same thing happens to us. Are we the spitting image of our Heavenly Father? Do we look like our Heavenly Father? There's something about the generic identity in each one of us. You were born in the image and likeness of God. And you need to take hold of this. So that you actually become who you are. You actually become who you are. Your primary identity is that of a son or daughter in him, and you have something of the father family likeness. Thirdly, verse 6, it's an unearned identity. His grace is freely bestowed upon us in the beloved. Our identity is freely given, and it's unearned. It's not a question of whether you feel worthy of it. It's whether we believe it to be true or not. See, when people look at us, they see what we are. We see who we are on the outside, particularly. But God sees us how we can be. God doesn't look at our failures. 
He looks at our potential. And one of the things that I'm asking God in these days in particular is to look at some of you people and see what is your potential? What does God want to do in you? Not what you are at the moment, but what's the potential? I don't want to dismiss anybody, any one of you, as being no good or worthless. Put on you an identity which is not yours. I want to say, Father God, what is the person that you see? What is their identity? What is their potential? God sees the potential, not the problems. I so often see the problems. If you've got a glass of water, I tend to see it half empty rather than half full. God sees it filled right the way up. God doesn't look at our failures. He looks at our potentials. We're not worthy. Yes, we're not worthy, but he has made us worthy. Think of the prodigal son. You know the story of the prodigal son. He left his father, took half the the inheritance, his own inheritance, went off, spent the whole load of it, wasted it away, finished up in a pig's pen. He came to his father and said, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. He wasn't worthy. But to the father, he was still his son. It didn't alter the fact, no matter what he'd done, what he said and where he was and what he'd been, he was still the son. And the same applies to you. And the same applies to me. No matter what we have done, we are not worthy but we're still a son or a daughter of God. And the Father knew that. And God the Father knows it too. And we have got to know it. We have got to know that we're a son or a daughter of God. And it's only on the grounds of God's grace and his provision in Christ that we can be secure in who we are. It's unearned, but he has given it to us. Verse 7. Is that number four, is it? Our identity is with worth and dignity. Redemption is the price of release or ransom of a slave to set them free. And the identity that you and I have in Christ cost God an enormous amount to redeem us out of sin. We already touched on that earlier today. And the value that uh, someone puts, or the price that puts on uh, someone is the price we're prepared to pay. The value that people place on something is the price that they're willing to pay for it. And the price that God was willing to pay for you and I was everything that he had. We have the same value to the Father as Jesus. And you see, what the world, and particularly this country, is seeking to do is to give value and dignity and everything else by way of legislation, equal opportunities, non-discrimination legislation, equal rights, opportunities that we all have. We all have it in Christ. It's there in Christ. We don't have to have rules and regulations. We don't have to have laws that come in. We are All of us have got that equal value and worth to God. There's no inferiority. There's no class. There's no distinction by race or education or anything else. We have equal worth 
were equally worth to one another and to Christ himself. If we're secure in this, if we're secure in who we are because of what Christ has done, then it doesn't matter whether we succeed or fail. I don't believe God worries too much about whether we're successful or not. He wants us to be faithful. Calls us to be faithful, not to be successful. We're not called to be successful, we're called to be faithful. As faithfulness is all to do with relationship. The next point. Ephesians 10 to 12. It's an, it's an eternal identity. We've touched upon that already this morning. When we were born again of the Spirit of God, we were received into eternal life. And we came into the identity which is ours. No one can take that away. And we should be secure in that identity throughout eternity. Once a son, once a daughter, always a son and a daughter. No matter what the prodigal son did, he was still the son. And no matter what we do, we're still a son or a daughter of our Heavenly Father. We cannot use, lose that generic identity. No matter what we do, it doesn't change who we are. We are who we are. We are who we are. I am who I am. The prodigal son may have felt, felt unworthy. He may have lost all the privileges. He may have lost all the enjoyment of sonship. But it did not change who he was. He was still the father's son. It's an identity with a future hope to be with him forever. And all of this is part of our identity with Christ. Wow. Wow, an eternal identity. Can you get excited about this? Of who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. We sung about it. We sung about it. Let it sink in from our heads into our hearts. But this work, this work of the Father in us is not complete, but it's continuing. I think one of the important things is we've got to realise is that our outward appearance is but the frame of who we are. We mentioned this earlier in the Psalm 139. He knew my frame full well. You think of a picture. You look at a picture and you look at some of these wonderful pictures in the galleries. How many of you go around and say, wow, that's a wonderful frame. I really like that frame. That frame is really, it's really special. It's really wonderful. It's really gorgeous because the frame is really beautiful. The frame is there to enhance the picture which is in the inside. It's the picture that is there that is the important thing. The frame is there to enhance the picture. And the same applies from us. Our outward appearance is not who we are. It's the frame of who we are. 
It's the picture inside that God is doing. God is working a picture in our lives. And we shouldn't be over-concerned about the frame. The frame is there to enhance the picture. And God is working on an inward picture in us. He is designing and making a picture. He's painting something wonderful on the canvas of our lives. And we would never, I hope we would never seek to judge a painter by an unfinished painting that he's done. One of the first times that I came uh, here to Hope, uh, I was in this room there with many of you from uh, uh, the healing rooms and uh, Phil asked me to come and share about um, intercession. And I might have told you the story that... uh, When I was a boy growing up, when my hair was fuller, when my beard was blacker, that uh, uh, people thought that I was very much like Rolf Harris, the disgraced, no disgraced (coughs) uh, broadcaster. They they thought that I was like Rolf Harris. And I do remember being on a, a walking holiday up in the Peak District in Derbyshire and went into a youth hostel there and I was sat in the lounge, and I probably told you the story at the time, and I was sitting down in the lounge reading uh, a book or something, and uh, some children were there. There must have been a school party, and there's a lot of whispering going on. And they were looking over at me, and this whispering. Somebody came over and said, hey, mister, are you Rolf Harris? And I said, yes, yes, that's right. And they said, well, give us a song then. And so I started singing, and they said, ah, no, you're not. (laughs) But you know that Rolf Harris used to do those paintings, those big murials there? And he had the big paintbrush, and he used to scribble away there. And I remember watching them and thinking, that's a load of old scribble, you know, and that's that's rubbish, you know, it's all there. And he'd be, this paintbrush and this, and he'd be splashing it around. And then you suddenly think, oh, yeah, I'm beginning to see the picture now. And the picture would gradually develop as he went on more and more. Well, I brought some of my pictures around, if you remember that uh, occasion. And I had a picture of a lion with a big mane. When I started that, I, I, I used to draw buildings and things like that. They were solid. And people said to me, my, my spiritual daughter who's been here a number of times from Germany said, will you do one of a cat? And I said, no, I can't. I don't do animals at all. But I saw this lion's face and I thought, I'd like to draw that. I started drawing this lion's face and I drew and it was, it was a load of old scribble. And I was very depressed. It was just scribble all over the place there. And I thought, this is not going anywhere. It's, it's not, it's terrible. I'll never be able to do an animal at all. It's all, all these hair. All. And then suddenly you think, ah, I can see, yeah, like there's the eyes there and the mouth. And suddenly this lion came alive. And that's God still working on us. He's drawing a picture. He's doing a picture. Ephesians. Ephesians 1, I think it is, or Ephesians 2, rather, in the uh, New Living Translation says this, we are God's masterpiece. Whoa! God's creating a masterpiece in us. We are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned to do for us. He's like that picture that's, it's not finished yet. We're not the finished work. But he's creating a masterpiece in us. And part of our identity is the masterpiece that God's created in us. 
but it's not finished. He's completed them. So don't criticize God for where you are at the moment because it's an incomplete work. But it, when he completes it, it will be a masterpiece. Can you believe it? Can you get that? Can you get that into your heart? God's word says we are God's masterpiece. That's our identity. And finally, verses 13 and 14 in this Ephesians 1. It's a sealed identity. Everything that I've shared with you this morning is not just theory, but it's sealed up for you through the Holy Spirit. Are you living in the good of it? Because it's yours. It comes to you by way of revelation through the Holy Spirit. And this is one of my favourite verses at this point in time. Ephesians 1 and verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you might know him better. There needs to be a revelation of who you are. You need to be able to understand who you are and it comes through the Holy Spirit. And once you've received that revelation of the identity of who you are, it's sealed for you. It's protected for you. But God's ability to give is limited by our capacity to receive. And if we maintain barriers against him in any way, we will hinder the outworking and the, of his purposes and plans for our lives. This is not something that we have to convince ourselves about. It's a reality. In him, we have the Holy Spirit as the deposit of our identity. And the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, bears witness to our spirits that we are the sons of God. Have you got that confirmation? Have you got that witness of who you are, of that identity in your lives? And all of this identity that we've been talking about this morning is made real to us by the Holy Spirit. And God wants us to live in a conscious enjoyment and knowledge of who we are in him. It's to go beyond head knowledge. You see, our head knowledge will limit us. Our head knowledge limits us. We need to have a new spiritual dimension. We need to have this reality of who we are in our hearts and to know that it's true for us. It's true for us personally. It's true for us individually. It's this word and the spirit coming together. May you know and experience and enjoy and delight in the knowledge of who you are for Jesus. Amen. I just ask the worship team to come back up, please. One more song. Dave, thank you very much. That was fantastic. There's so much, so much in that, so much gold.
That is, that's something we just can't get enough of. That's, that's brilliant, Dave. Thank you. Thanks so much. Um, I think I missed... Is there anyone new that's not been here before for the first time today? We all look familiar. No one hiding around the corner? No? Good, good, good. <laughs> Please stay around for tea and coffee <coughs> and cakes, hopefully, and have a blessed week. <laughs>